Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Amy Knight. Hey, hey, from Nashville. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from snowy Provo. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Manny Bea. All right. What's up, guys? Glad to be here. Excited to be here. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash jsjabber. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. So uh, just to give a little bit of context here, Manny and I talk every week on another podcast slash mastermind called Entreprogrammers. And anyway, um, it turns out that Manny's read like all of the productivity books ever written and summarized them for people. And we were talking and I was like, this is stuff that you know my audience is would be interested to hear and will want to hear, will need to hear. So, you know, we, we set this up. We did an episode on Ruby Rogues, if you want to go check that out. We'll probably talk about a few different things and a few of the same things on this one. But yeah, it's just been interesting to talk to Manny about productivity. And I was like, it's like, yeah, this stuff's gold. So I'm sharing. I brought Manny along so he can do all the work. Yay. And I want to add to that, that I used to be a coder. You know, I used to write freaking assembly level stuff back in the day. I'm an engineer. I'm a computer engineer. I'm a physicist from my past life. So I feel I feel the challenges of coding and, you know, being a developer and trying to be productive. So it's kind of fun to be able to bridge that gap here with you guys. Yeah. So one thing that we got into in Ruby Rogues, and I just kind of want to start there, is when we talk about productivity, people have different definitions of it, right? So some people get in and it's, you know, how much work am I getting done? Or how many, how much time am I putting in? Or, you know, sometimes people just, did I feel productive? You know, they get that warm, tingly feeling inside. So, so what is productivity? When we're talking about productivity, what are we talking about? Yeah, probably the biggest distinction I like to make when it comes to productivity is the difference between efficiency and effectiveness, right? Most of us think productivity is being efficient, which is doing something really fast, doing something really well. But productivity will give you 100,000, 10,000 extra returns when you start focusing on effectiveness, on doing the right things rather than doing things right. Efficiency says doing things the right way. Effectiveness says do the right things. So I'll give you an example that kind of explains what I mean in this case. So I, you probably all used Waze, the, the app for you know, navigating and stuff. I used to love that app until one day I snapped and I started to hate it. So I was in LA. I was trying to drive to this uh, conference I was going to, and it was like an hour long ride. So I turned on Waze to save 
you know, it started taking me, taking me on these back roads. And I'm a San Diego guy, so I don't really know LA very well. And it's taking me on these back roads and supposedly it's supposed to save, save me 10 minutes. So what happened was during that duration of an hour long ride, our 15 minutes, whatever it was, compared to our 20 minutes it was supposed to be with Google Maps, what Waze did was it took me off the proven path, the freeways and stuff, and it took me into these uh, weeds. Unfortunately, what happened was I, instead of thinking about the big picture, instead of thinking about whatever I was thinking about, which I usually do when I'm driving, I was so stuck just following ways. I was just like, oh shit, now I need to turn left. Oh, I, now I need to turn right. Oh, and I'm, I was like constantly reacting rather than letting my mind free and think about whatever I was thinking about in my business or anything like that. And that to me, in that moment, I realized I was trying to be efficient and not being effective with my time. I was trying to be efficient with like, okay, it shouldn't take an hour, 20 minutes. It should take an hour, 10 minutes. Instead of realizing that it doesn't matter if it takes hour 10 or hour 20, if I use that time for doing the right thing, which was to think about whatever I wanted to think about and let the traffic take its course. As long as I stuck on the freeway, I wouldn't really have to think about which street I'm taking off course, which, which thing I'm like, so we try, we all do these stupid optimizations all the times to ourselves where we're trying to be efficient with things and we forget effectiveness in the process. So in order to save 10 minutes, I wasted an hour, if that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, I've done that just in programming as well, right? You run into something, it's like, oh, well, if I spend three hours, you know, optimizing this particular thing, and it turns out that, I'm only going to have to touch it four times and it's going to take me 10 minutes to do, you know, whatever it is each time. Yeah. So I spent three hours trying to save myself 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we all do that. And not only that, I mean, all through the day, you'll often find that you're doing things that don't necessarily have the highest leverage, doing things just for the sake of efficiency. Like, okay, let me check my email because I have some time in between these meetings or I have some time or I'm taking a break in between my coding session. So I'm going to check my email. That's efficiency, but that's not effectiveness. Because as soon as you start checking your email and your social media and all that crap, it literally blows up your mind and whatever thinking space, whatever attention space you had created for what you're working on is out of the window. So you were efficient, but you were not at all effective. You killed your effectiveness. You killed your productivity. And we can go a lot more detail into this whole idea of attention space because that's something one of my favorite authors, uh, Cal Newport, who's a professor of computer science. So he kind of understands all of these things at a much deeper level. He wrote this book called Deep Work, which is all about how we can be productive in today's day and age. Anyone who's a programmer, anyone who's a coder, I highly, highly, highly recommend Deep Work as a book you should read. Comes from a computer science professor guy. So, you know, and he's an MIT PhD guy. So smart guy, a lot to learn from him. So then how do you, I'm going to use the word optimize, even though you just talked about effectiveness versus efficiency, but how do you optimize for effectiveness then? Right. So effectiveness in some ways has nothing to do with efficiency. They're two different things. They're completely separate worlds altogether. When you are optimizing for effectiveness, you're only focusing on the things that truly matter that will bring you the results, right? Take an example. You could waste an hour to return a $10 gadget that you bought from Amazon. You go, you return, you print the, uh, print the shipping label, you take it down to the store, do whatever, all of that stuff that you have to do. And you spend all of your mental energy to save those $10 that you bought stuff from Amazon. Or you could spend those 10, uh, that hour on working 
on something really important that will probably make you $500 in that hour. So the difference there is optimizing for results, not for efficiency. So constantly thinking about what is it that's going to give me the high results? What is it that's going to give me the highest leverage? The 80-20 rule in some ways, looking at the few things that truly matter and cutting out everything else. Now we can go on and on about all the different aspects of effectiveness, but if you are results driven, you are going to be effective. But if you are time driven in some ways, then you succumb to efficiency. If you're thinking of how can I just optimize my time right now? You're probably thinking of efficiency. But if you are thinking of how can I create that result, the big result that I'm after, and whatever time it takes, it's fine. But because I'm focused on the big result, not about the small things, the small time um, efficiencies, then you are being more productive. So I kind of you know identify with that concept of like, oh, I'm running to the store. So while I'm running to the store, I'll do these five other errands. And oftentimes I end up doing errands that may not be as critical to, you know, whatever it is that matters to me at the moment, right? I could run an errand that just, I may not have ever gotten to at any other point. But at that point, sometimes it's like, well, it's a pretty small thing. So it's okay to do that. Is that still, how do you, you know, account for that and calculate that and say, well, I still have to run to the store, you know, I got to have food to eat. Right. So I've got to run to the store and here's these five other errands that have been building up. They're not that important, but I'll just do them while I'm out there instead of an hour long trip. Now it's a two hour long trip. Right. So I'm going to take a different example to kind of uh, go along the same question that you're asking. A lot of times what we will do is let's say you're coding, let's say you're working on some stuff and you've been working on some coding for the last 30 minutes to an hour. And now you feel a little tired. Now you feel a little like, okay, I need a break. So for all of you guys on the panel here, what do you do when you feel like you need to take a break? Please give me an answer. All of you. I get up and go talk to my family or something. Go for a walk. Sleep. Go to the gym. Do you sleep? (laughs) Chuck, you sleep? sleep. I need a break. So I have a gift. And uh, yeah, give me two minutes and I can sleep just about anywhere. Oh my God. That's a great gift, by the way. It is. I wish I had that. Right. Yeah, it's funny. My It drives my wife nuts because she, she can't. She has to like unwind for a yeah, half hour. So we, yeah. we get into bed and I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to go to sleep now. And she's just like, oh. and then I'm out and gone. Anyway. Man, that's amazing. So for I me, often when I feel like I need a break, it's because I'm actually not hitting flow. It's because I'm turning wheels, but work's not getting done. And so... Often that's a signal to me that I got to reevaluate my priorities of what I'm working on. Am I working on the right thing in the first place? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So it's more a function of feeling stressed out and distracted. Um, and that's when you're like, oh, I don't feel like I'm not even, I don't feel like I'm doing the right thing anyway. So that can take a toll on you too, right? It, it kind of, it's, it's exhausting when you go through that process. So most of the times what people do, you guys have, you guys have been telling me the good answer, not the bad answer, as when you check your email and when you check your social media and when you check your news sites, your CNN.coms and all, all of right, that stuff. What about playing a game? What about playing a game? Video game? Playing a game? Well, that's one alternative. But again, you have to remember that... Ev- so let me, let me now paint the picture of uh, what's called attention space. At any given time, and this is something that Cal Newport talks about in the book, Deep Work, 
Cal Newport is a computer science professor. You know, we have a limited amount of space, attention space uh, available to us. Either we can use it to focus on the few things that truly matter. Let's say you're doing some coding and you're thinking about that coding. So you you occupy all of that attention space with that coding, or you keep on switching back and forth between coding and checking email and coding and checking Twitter and coding and email or meeting or phone call or Facebook or uh, news sites or all of that XYZ that most people do. Most people, as in 99% of us are doing that, right? We're constantly shuttling back and forth between what's important and then going to distract ourselves. What's important, distract ourselves. Now, what that, what that does is it creates um, a mishmash in some ways. What was supposed to be, our, our brains were supposed to be focused on that one thing and now we're constantly switching. We're switching context. We're taking away the attention space with all of this crap that is bringing in, right? You're writing code and someone sends you this message about what Donald Trump did and you check on that, you click on that email and you read it or someone sends you or your family member sends you an email or someone's, you go on these, on these loops for a while before you get back to focus. So every time you do a context switch, you lose tremendous focus, you lose tremendous clarity. And the key to doing high volumes of high quality work is to not be distracted for extended periods of time. No distractions allowed whatsoever. What I mean by that is no distractions means no email notifications, no social media notifications, no one freaking just barging into your door and saying, hey, I want you to do that, or I want you to do this, or what's going on with this and what's going on with that. The more extended time you can have on one task, the more productive you can become. So one of the easiest things I tell people is just turn off your email notifications. Most of us have our email notifications constantly pinging us, killing us. Our phone is vibrating off the hook or pinging all the time and uh, you know, text message and Facebook notification and Facebook message and all that stuff is happening while we're trying to focus on that one thing. So as Peter Drucker, Peter Drucker was a great management guru who wrote the book called The Effective Executive, probably one of the greatest productivity books ever. He talks about the idea that you could be much more productive if you did two hours of uninterrupted time of work compared to dribs and drabs of time like most people do, 10 minutes here and then email and 20 minutes here and then social media and all that stuff. If you spend the whole day doing that, you'll be way less productive compared to just two hours of solid uninterrupted work. I absolutely believe that that's true. I kind of want to jump on this for a second because we've done uh, Pomodoro technique stuff before on entreprogrammers. And isn't that an interruption every half hour? Yeah. So the way you want to think of it is an interruption is an interruption when you're polluting your attention space, right? When you're polluting your attention space with new information that doesn't need to be used right now for the task, you are basically interrupting yourself. So if in those five minutes, all you did was take a break in the sense you, you just chilled out for a little bit, you sat down on your couch, you took a little walk, you drank some water, you ate a little food, or you played with your dog, that's all cool. But if in those five minutes, you go out checking email and checking Twitter and checking social media and checking your sales stats and doing all of that stuff, now you're polluted your attention space. Now you're screwing around with that. So even though you did do 25 minutes of high quality work, you've already screwed around with that five minute break that you just went all over the place. So the higher, the longer the duration of time you can stay uninterrupted and the longer of the duration of time you can stay without polluting your thinking with random stuff, the higher the quality of work you will produce. 
So it's a correlation there. Now it's up to you. What is that length of time that you can devote? Right, 25 minutes is the minimum you need actually to be able to focus. Anything less than that, you're just not even going to be produce anything of quality before you leave it. So at least for the duration of that Pomodoro, you've got to turn off all distractions. You got to turn off all your notifications so that you can focus single-mindedly on the one thing. So what Chuck and I and uh, a couple of us guys, John Sanmez and Josh, we all did. We did an experiment one time, and I'm still in the. I, I'm I'm still like we need to do this experiment more often, but some of you guys don't want to do it. The experiment was that we had to do eight Pomodoros. <laughs> we had this argument, yes. <laughs> eight Pomodoros before 12 p.m. every single day. Now, it's a freaking hard thing to do. You would think eight Pomodoros, that's just 200 minutes, three hours and 20 minutes of work. Man, it's so hard. It is so difficult to get those eight chunks of time without interruption, right? Eight, one Pomodoro, then before 12 p.m. So, but it was also probably one of the most productive weeks for all of you guys. You know, Chuck, probably you agree with that. Yeah, hundred percent. It was actually, uh, how do I put it? it? I got the most done mm-hmm. and it set things up for the next like three weeks because a lot of the time was spent like prospecting for podcast guests and prospecting for podcast sponsors. And so over the next two or three weeks, I wound up closing a whole bunch of sponsorships wound up getting a whole bunch of other work done that you know led to podcast guests getting scheduled and systems getting updated and stuff like that. It, it was a really, really, really positive thing. And to be honest, the reason that I haven't continued with it is just because on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, my recording schedule is kind of nuts and it makes it really hard for me to get eight in. But you know, now that you bring it up, I think I am going to go back and recommit to doing it at least Monday, Thursday, and Friday. Because those days, I tend to have less scheduled. Of course, Mondays have been filling up with interviews for the interview shows. But even then, those typically last a half hour. So they fit into a Pomodoro technique type setup. Right, right. And it's something very interesting you said. Uh, What you said was you did high quality work, right? Mm -hmm. You did very high leverage work. So what happens is when we become intentional with our time, when we become hyper-focused and intentional with our time, and the longer the chunk of time we carve out, the more intentional we become about that time use. And when we become intentional, we're going to start thinking of what's the right thing to do rather than let me just respond to this message. Let me just respond to this email. So what we do in Pomodoro is make sure we already set an intention of what I'm going to do for the next 25 minutes rather than just sit in front of the computer and respond to things. Responding to things is a very dangerous thing. It will kill your productivity. You have to become more of, um, you know, you choose when you do certain things rather than uh, constantly responding to people, responding to requests, responding to inquiries, responding to all of that stuff. So question, this seems like this might actually have a corollary to to programming style. Like mm-hmm. when, you know, when we're trying to be efficient with computer systems, we actually... I think we we talk a lot about like event driven or lazy evaluation. Like, is this the inverse of that, or is this the same in a different way? Mm. I'm not sure of lazy. Can you tell me more about it? Uh, so, lazy evaluation being that you instead of doing, say, there's ten tasks to do, you mm. don't do all ten tasks when the ten tasks come in. You do more single piece flow where like a, re- a request comes in, you fire off to let the 
you know, disk, go fetch some data. Then when you get the event back, you then process the next piece of information. So you only process one piece of information at a time as the, the unit of work is being driven through the flow rather than saying, oh, a unit of work came in, let me spawn off, it, you know, it needs six things done, let me spawn six of them. You instead like stack them. I don't know if that's a great explanation. Maybe somebody else could correct me on that, but that's kind of, that's what I think of when I think of uh, lazy evaluation and, and event driven. Mm. That's interesting, though you're still, uh, you're responding to the events as they're coming in and then making, the computers, it's making a decision at that point, is it? Like, should I do this or not do this? Or should I do this later or not do this right now? Um, so I, I have a good example that's not with a computer that you could probably easily apply to computers. So let's say that you're working in a retail store and mm -hmm. a shipload of retail supplies just came in and so you're going to take these shirts and you're going to unbox them. And then once you're done unboxing them, you're going to put them on hangers. And then once you put them on hangers, you're going to be sorting them. And then once they're sorted, you're going to take them out to the floor versus single piece flow or lazy evaluation would be you get a box, you open it, you take the first shirt out, you put it on a hanger, you put it in the column where it needs to be sorted but then maybe you don't go take it out to the rack right away because that is something where it actually does make sense to queue it up for the next task as kind of a shipping type cycle. But mm. it, in retail, it's faster if you do single piece flow to not open the box and unwrap each shirt, but open the box, unwrap one shirt, put it on the hanger. You do the whole process that the shirt needs, scan mm. it in, whatever, and then you go to the next one. So it's like batching would be that you take each task and do it one task at a time versus lazy evaluation or single piece flow would be you take one piece and take the whole piece through the flow until it needs to be queued for okay. something like shipping or like it would be very inefficient to try to do it outside of a batch. Mm. Yeah, batching, like if we were to batch things of the same kind at the same time, that becomes extremely effective for our brains to be able to like get it all together and get it all done at the same time. So let me let me let me let me actually simplify this um, context switching. Uh, AJ, you're you're familiar with context switching in the computer science space, right? Yes. Right. So context switching has a huge cost to it. Every time we're writing code, if we're switching context, you know, stuff has to take be taken out from the memory or from you know the local RAM or from cache. All of that stuff has to happen for you to constantly be switching tasks, switching context every single time. So in computing- well, it's not just taken out, it's also written to a, a higher level of memory that is longer to access, right? Because you have exactly. to remember it so you can come back to it. So, exactly. so then there's the recall step, which is the, that whole process in reverse mm -hmm. from a higher cost memory that takes longer to access. Yeah, and the same way it works with our brains, right? We have, you know, when we're working on something important and we have that attention space, whatever you call it, maybe we call it the cache, right? You have that cache that you're working with that given time for the 25 minutes or for the hour or for two hours. And now you're suddenly bringing in Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and you're bringing in Facebook and Twitter and all of that crap. And your boss said something, all of that. Now what you're doing is you're emptying out your cache of whatever you're working on and you're loading it with stuff that wasn't supposed to be there. And that context, that context switching, constant context switching 
is killing productivity. So the key is to batch, to batch and say, I will do email for 30 minutes at this time and at this time. Let's say I'll do email at 12 p.m. and 4 p.m. Or to say, I will batch my time for, you know, when I'm doing coding compared to when I'm working on some presentation or something like that, or when I'm doing testing. There's so many different ways you can batch your tasks. Now, especially now that I run my business, it's a different beast altogether. Like there are days or there are hours and hours when I'm working on marketing. There are times when I'm working on content. There are times when I'm working on, you know, relationship building and all those things. If I start to switch between those things all the time, I know it's going to be a terrible day. And AJ, you, I think AJ, you were telling about, talking about how uh, when you're feeling distracted and you're all, all over the place, usually you're not hitting the flow. That's what happens when you're not giving yourself enough time and attention and focus on the one thing for an extended period of time. Well, then we have a problem because we're now constantly switching tasks and we're just running out of mental energy in many ways to to do anything real productive. So here's, here's the thing that I run into is that typically I have like three or four larger projects that I'm working on and I feel like I need to make progress on all of them. So I'm not really trying to do context switching per se, but I want to make sure that I move ahead on all of them. So let's say that I'm, you know, I'm working on a book and I'm working on a course and I'm working on the podcasting processes. And, you know, so I've got three or four kind of major things that are going to take a lot of work. Are you telling me that rather than try and make progress on all of them, I should at least for today or for the next three or four hours, try and make progress, a lot of progress on one of them? Is that more yeah. effective? Yeah. So think about the context switching in, uh, in micro context and also in uh, the meta context in some ways, in the macro context. What happens uh, every time you go from okay, I'm working on podcast sponsorships, but now I'm going to work on writing email copy for my email campaign. And now I'm going to work on recording this podcast. All it, What it really does to you is constantly challenges your cash and maybe your first level RAM to come up with all the data that it was supposed to have. And now it doesn't have. So now it has to go the second level and the third level memory to be able to, or maybe the hard drive to get that data from it to be able to do high quality work. And that just means you're wasting cycles, you're wasting CPU cycles. And as you waste your CPU cycles, you end up becoming burnt out. You know, you end up burnt out at the end of the day. However, if you focused on that one thing and you, you know, you didn't distract yourself, you said, okay, today is my day of sponsorships. I just spent a lot of time on sponsorship. Maybe you spent four hours or eight hours. Maybe you switch, you, you split it by four hour chunks. So you'd say, okay, in the morning, four hours are my sponsorship time. Afternoon, four hours are for something else. So the less you switch context and the more you batch things, the higher your level of productivity becomes. Because remember what Drucker was saying was two hours of focused work is way better than dribs and drabs where you're switching focus all day long. That's not really effective. But if you said two hours of work, one hour of email, and then two hours of work, and then one hour of talking to people and all that stuff, that's fine. But if you try to switch between all of these tasks every 10 or 15 minutes, now you're screwed. Now you're in for a big, you're in for, for a little bit of challenge. So in deep work, Cal Newport talks about this idea. He says, you know, there are four different modes of deep work, the most demanding of which could be like where you go off and you do you know, you maybe you're off away for a month or two and you're just working on the one thing. Most of us don't have the liberty to do that. 
some people will uh, actually take off an extended weekend to work on something. Let's say three days on this specific thing and nothing else. So those are like monk mode or uh, alternate modes. But then you go into more of daily modes of operation where you say, okay, today I just work on this one thing. Or another easier mode of operation would be, okay, for the next hour or two, I just work on this one thing and then I work on that thing. Uh, so the longer the period of time you can spend on one thing, the higher your, higher your overall productiveness will be. That's the key lesson here. So large chunks of uninterrupted time. That's the key. Large chunks of uninterrupted time. Large is a keyword here, and so is chunk. Chunk means you're not going to cut it up. And large means the larger it is, the more productive you can be. It sounds like it's kind of the inverse of the way that we like to program, which I can see why if our brains are already thinking in the one way that we, we'd want to try to prioritize you know, two different systems that actually need two different methods of prioritization in a similar way, and it works against us. Tell me more about that. What I'm saying is like the, you know, the idea of what I was saying before, if you are thinking in terms of, you know, if you're in the habit of thinking in terms of lazy evaluation or single piece flow, that process works for some things in your life for it, you know, or, or certain tasks in the business world. But it, like what you're saying is, you know, what I asked before is, does this somehow parallel that? Or is it somehow the inverse of that? And my conclusion after hearing you and thinking about it, it sounds like it's the inverse. So we have to do our time management process differently from the way that we look at our, you know, coding task processes. Mm. Like with, okay, so with let, the let coding me... task that we're batching, the way that we write that code is uh, doing more of the, the lazy evaluation, the event handling, but that is not effective for our time in general. Mm. When you batch, or at least when I think of batching, I'm actually taking one thing to completion. Let's say my marketing piece, right? I'm writing an email and I'm trying to finish off that whole thing rather than letting it off, letting it go off into the weeds and have to come back to it later. So I don't want to keep coming back to it. Uh, If I'm recording, I want to get it done. I want to finish that task so I don't have to come back again and switch back into it. Agreed. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's more like single single item flow or single piece flow, as you're saying. But um, yeah, it's batching to the point where you spend as much time as possible on finishing that one thing before you switch to the next thing. So one thing that I'm wondering about then is for me to do this is really easy. Uh, Anyone who's watching the video can see that I'm at home. I'm in my home office. I just go lock the door, set my phone to silent, set it aside. No big deal, right? But a lot of people that I know, they go to an office, they sit in a cubicle, in a bullpen, and they're working in an environment where people are at least walking past, right, even if they're not talking to them on a regular basis. And so to, to get, you know, five minutes of uninterrupted time, depending on, you know, how distractible they are and how often people are actually stopping and saying, hey, Joe Blow, what do you, you know, how, how do people deal with that? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've dealt with it in different ways, but I'm curious what, what you're... Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I've heard so many horror stories, and I used to be one of them, uh, until I realized that I was killing myself, where you spend eight hours at work just responding to people so that you can go back home and then do another eight hours of real productive work or whatever you call real coding, <laughs> right? People do that all the time. Eight hours at work feel like a total 
of whirlwind because you're all over the place. You're total mishmash. There was no flow. There was no zone. And you feel like, oh, no, I'm, I need to now get caught up. So let me go back home and work till 2 a.m. to get this code done. And I did that for a very long time. So one of the most important lessons I learned from Drucker, from the effective executive from the book, he said, what does it take for an executive? I mean, we are all knowledge executives, whether we are entrepreneurs or whether we are software coders, it doesn't matter. We're all knowledge workers and that's an executive. So what does it take for an executive to, to be productive in this noisy world? And he said, it takes courage. What he meant by that was literally having the courage to say no, having the courage to say no, even when people are right in your face and like, hey, I need this help, or that email is pinging you, or that phone call is coming in. You set aside time on your calendar, you put on your headphones, you put on your big headphones, and you sit down to code for an hour, and you don't let anything else distract you. Unless it's your VP or your boss or someone else, you just say, don't worry about it. Let me just focus on this right now. All of these things, all of these requests, all of these emails and phone calls can be attended to later. The biggest challenge that we have when you are, you know, when we are in these office environments is not only that there are people who are disturbing you, but you are disturbing yourself. You got your email open in one browser window. You got your social media open in one browser window. You got your phone uh, turned on to full volume. And now you're hoping to get high quality work done. I mean, come on, not going to happen. So the key is courage, the courage to say no, the courage to impose your own time, or the impose your own decisions on your time use. To say, no, Monday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. is my productivity hour, it's my key hour, it's my power hour, whatever it is. Unless your boss calls you for a meeting or your VP calls you for a meeting, you just say no to everything else and you sit there and you work on whatever you need to work on. So it will require courage to say no to a lot of things, but with that courage will come clarity because you will now start to do more important things. One of the things that happened when I was, at, I was working in corporate America in Fortune 500, uh, I, was, I used to manage a billion dollar cell phone projects uh, for my cell phone customers. So what would happen was I would constantly get pulled into these, uh, these fires, like, hey, this is happening, we need to resolve this, we need to do this, blah, 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 blah. And all they would be spent like that. But when I read those books, a lot of those books, I started to learn that these requests are endless. These interrupts are endless. They will always be here, right? So they will true. never go away. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, and I, I, I would run into this and I wouldn't be the guy managing anything, right? I was right. managing me. And it'd right. be, hey, quick question. By the way, hey, quick question is like yep. the bane of my existence for like three years. Yep. So what I ended up doing after I learned these productivity techniques, I said, okay, screw all of this. I'm going to be, maybe some of these people will think I'm the bad guy or whatever it is. But when I set aside two hours in the morning on Tuesday, 10 to 12, that's my thinking time for the project. I don't allow anything else to come in during that time. That's when I sit down to create my reports. That's, that's when I sit down to create, like look at the project at a big picture and see, okay, what is it that we really need? Rather than me attending to these fires, how can I make sure that we create systems so that these fires do not happen, right? Until you have that space, the clarity of thinking and the space to think, you will constantly respond. But once you create that space, once you have that uh, 
window of time, now you can actually create rather than constantly respond. So once I had that space, once I imposed that courage and said, no, I'm not responding to all of that shit right now, because I got to focus on thinking much bigger than just the stuff that is happening in the moment to moment to moment. And when I started doing that, I started to create systems. I started to create processes. I started to think much bigger than what I was thinking. I started to think about how I can actually accelerate all of this without having to run like a crazy madman um, getting just step one or step two done. Let's think of how can I do the right things again and again, like the whole productivity mindset shift comes from going to higher level of results, thinking of how can I create the highest possible results in the time frame rather than thinking of how can I use my time, right? How can I efficiently use my time is a very bad question. How can I create the highest possible results is always going to get you much more bang for buck, no matter what. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring this up because when we did the Pomodoro challenge, what I ran into was that, A, yeah, I wasn't willing to spend the time going, okay, what do I do now to be, you know, whatever. I actually sat down on Friday afternoon and I put stuff into, you know, this is what I got to get done Monday. This is what I got to get done Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And this is my backlog. And then when I went to do the Pomodoros, all I had to do was look at my list, right? And so I batched up the planning and then I just worked through the things. And what it did is it made me prioritize stuff, right? So the important stuff was the stuff that I put at the top of my list for each day. Then I worked through it from there. And the other thing that happened was that um, I would put all of one thing on one day, all of another thing on the other day. And yeah, I would just batch through that stuff like crazy. And so like when I was doing um, guest outreach or sponsor outreach or anything like that, I would spend two or three hours just doing the same thing. So I was, you know, finding and emailing people. And, you know, or doing the follow-ups or reaching out on social media or whatever it was that I was doing. And it was interesting too, because you said, don't get on social media because you'll pollute your attention space. But since I was so focused on the one thing, I never actually went to the place where I was reading my feed, right? Mm -hmm. I was in the messages or looking up the companies and following them or things like that. So, yeah. The amazing thing about like when you become intentional with your time, as you also become intentional with your overall life in some ways, like now mm -hmm. you stop responding to the small things, you stop attending to the small fires, you stop being uh, constantly in the reactive mode, you become much more proactive, right? And seven yeah. habits of highly effective people, Stephen Covey talks about the idea, like the difference, one of the most important habits is to be proactive. And you become more and more proactive, the more you choose how you're going to spend your time. And just the act of setting up those time blocks will force you to now figure out, okay, well, I better freaking use those time blocks properly rather than just say, I'm just going to waste my time. So I guess the thing that I'm wondering now is, okay, I'm going to put my phone down, you know, I'm going to lock my door, I'm going to do all this stuff to get rid of all the distractions. And I'm, you know, I'm blocking out this time so I can get it done. So I'm going to talk to my wife or my coworkers or whoever, right? Make sure that they know hey, look, I'm going to check all my messages in a couple hours. Now what? Like, how, how, do, I, how do I up my game once I'm in that time block? Mm, nice. So once you're in the time block and there are no distractions, one of the most important things you can do for yourself is to constantly think 80-20. Constantly think, what is the 20% that will give me the 80% results? 
rather than just be stuck in the current paradigm that you're in, right? What are the few things that truly matter and how can I cut out everything else? So the higher level game of productivity in some ways is uh, where you boil it down to just a few things that you do truly well and everything else is useless, right? You're constantly thinking of, okay, what can I cut out rather than what can I add to my plate? You know, the essentialism mindset in some ways. Uh, I interviewed Greg McCune on our podcast. He's the he's author of uh, New York Times bestseller, Essentialism. He talks about the idea that ultimately the biggest companies in the world or the most the people who are winning the most are always the ones who have cut down most of things in life, not added a bunch of things. So it's more of editing rather than more is the mantra. That's the challenge we, we face a lot of the times. That's the challenge we need to overcome as to how do I do a few things that truly matter? Bruce Lee, he said, he used to say, I'm not afraid of the man who has practiced a thousand kicks. I'm afraid of the man who has practiced one kick a thousand times, all right? So the, the, the key there is that we start to cut out things. We start to focus on the few things that truly matter and everything else is total waste. And that's a very uh, meta-level perspective on productivity in some ways because that's when you're basically becoming what has happened now that once you're focusing on the few things that truly matter, now what you're doing is you're creating almost infinite time, infinite block of time for yourself because there's only one thing you really need to think about. So your productivity kind of keeps on going higher and higher and higher because you're focusing on a very few things that truly move the dial. I feel like I'm hogging the mic a little bit, but I want to ask a follow-up question to that. So you, you're talking about focusing on the things you do well and getting better at the things you do well. For me, the way that I do that is I delegate a lot of the other stuff or I'll build a system around it, right? So that somebody can do it efficiently or, you know, it, it gets handled by a computer somewhere or something like that. For somebody who's not in a management position where they can't delegate some of the stuff they're not good at, how do they get those things off their plate so that they can be the most effective while they're working? Yeah, I mean, we all have to start where we are, but the key in some ways is you have to identify what is your highest value activity, your most valuable activity every given day? What is your highest leverage activity every given day? No matter what position you are in, you always know what is it that I do here that creates the most value. So if you focus on that thing to the exclusion of everything else, you will find ways to do the best possible work compared to everyone else around you, right? What is it that I create the most value for in this business, in this company, or for myself? What creates the most value in this business? What creates the most value from my perspective? So identifying your most valuable activity, as I call it, is one of the most important things, especially if you are in an organization or even as a business owner. It's, it comes down to the same idea of focusing on that one thing that truly matters. There are very few. There are a handful of things, maybe three things, even no matter what kind of job you're in that truly move the dial in your job. Everything else is just taking you away from that. Yeah, that makes sense. And one thing that I've done is just communicate with other people, right? So it's, hey, look, you know, um, I've, I've worked on these systems or I've gained expertise in these areas and I feel like, these, you know, this is where I really can make a difference and I'd like to focus there for a little bit. So, you know, but this other thing has to be done. So can you help me get it done? Or talk mm -hmm. to my boss and say, 
hey, you know, um, I feel like I can make a bigger difference by doing this instead of this, but this other thing is urgent. And so, you know, can we find a way to get that done too? And a lot of times, just that much will get you a long ways. But then you can focus on the areas where you really can. Uh, yeah. Again, 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 um, the idea of like what, what Drucker said, it'll take courage, right? Yeah. It'll take courage to impose your own will on your time. You will have to say no if you want to be productive. I mean, Warren Buffett said it, uh, Warren Buffett uh, has said it numerous times. He's like, uh, the difference between uh, people who do well and people who do exceptionally well is that people who do exceptionally well say no to almost everything, right? So the yeah. meta, the ultimate meta level of productivity is how can you boil it down to a very few things or maybe one thing? Like what does Kobe, what was Kobe Bryant doing for 20 years in his basketball career? Freaking just practicing basketball. Everything else was <laughs> irrelevant, right? Talk about Jordan, you talk about some of the greatest players. That's what they focused on. There are other guys who weren't that focused and they're doing multiple other things. Well, the results weren't as good compared to what Kobe and Michael Jordan and some of these guys did. So that's, that's the key there. Like once you have that time slot, which is going to be very hard for most people, like having those time slots will constantly challenge you because they always require courage for you to impose your will on that situation rather than people just rather than letting people just uh, take you in all these different directions. Yep. Yeah, I changed my mind again. I think this is, this is a hybrid. This is your, your batch of <laughs> the right things. You're paralyzing that both sense of that word, the right things, <laughs> both in parallel and stopping the right things. And you're, you're setting a time, a Pomodoro, to do this batch work. You're setting a time, a Pomodoro, a Pomodoro to do this parallel work. You're setting not time to paralyze things because that's just things you don't bother with. But maybe you also set a Pomodoro for the intermittent work so mm -hmm. that it doesn't just pile up and become a huge, obnoxious, yep. stressful mess. Yep. That's really good. That's, that's a very uh, good observation, AJ. It's impossible for, for most of us today to just say, okay, I'm going to do this and everything else can go to hell. So the key there is to not, not let that social media and email distract you all the time, but setting a batch of time for that, right? So if you're working four hours on your most important things and you batch 15 to 20 minutes or 30 minutes for your email for twice or thrice a day, you will get so much more clarity and focus because you're not constantly interrupting yourself with that new feedback, that new data, that new stuff. And now you can just be free in some ways and you can think about, okay, well, I know I will check my email at 4 p.m. or I'll, I know I'll check my email at 12 p.m. And so it's not a big deal. It can pile up. If people really need me, then they can call me. And that's the emergency thing, but everything else can just wait. So yeah, you want to have actually predetermined times for your almost grunt work, as you want to call it. All the checking stuff that you need to do or all the maintenance work you need to do, what Cal Newport calls shallow work, right? His, the title of his book is Deep Work. So deep work is your high quality, high volume, highly productive work. Shallow work is everything else. Shallow work is checking email, checking, you know, responding to people's requests and phone calls and Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. Um, that's shallow work. Deep work is whatever creates the highest value in the business right now for you or for your employer or whatever it is. So you should schedule your shallow work as well. So you don't let the shallow work take over. Yeah, I tend to do that. And to me, email is kind of shallow work, right? Because mm -hmm. it's 
I switch contacts for each email. I mean, mm-hmm. when I'm doing sponsorships and I'm answering those emails, you know, it's not as much because I'm kind of in the same headspace, even though I'm dealing with different people. But yeah, for email is one of those things, just to give an example. Or one of the things that I do that's kind of like email is I'll go check my notifications and direct messages on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Or the same thing on Facebook, you know, I'll skim through yep. my notifications to see. How often are you doing that every day? <laughs> once. <laughs> just once? Yes. But it's okay. just so that I can respond because sometimes people will reply to a tweet about a podcast episode. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, I'm in there for very specific kinds of work. Yeah. But it's still shallow work because it could be a response to a different kind of message or a personal thing or whatever. And so for me, it's just, hey, look, I'm going to go through this, make sure everybody who needs a reply gets one. And yeah, and that, that's pretty yeah. much it. I mean, email by itself, I don't know how many times you're checking. Most people check it 20, 30 times a day. We're hooked to email. We're like every 20, 30 minutes, we're refreshing our email or checking it on phone or checking it on our browsers. And not only that, we're hooked to all these new news sites and social media sites and all the stuff that doesn't need to that you can bash time for later in the day or at some point in the day. The key is yeah. to do high quality work early on. Don't start off by doing low quality or shallow work and then hope to move to high quality work. That's not very effective. Right. So high quality work, deep work, extended period of time early on and then shallow work later on. So I read a fortune cookie that said, if you have five minutes, use one of them to plan what you're going to do with the next four. <laughs> That's a what good one. I usually subscribe to the 1% rule of planning. So the 1% rule of planning is really as simple as take the time duration you're going after. Let's say a day. A day has 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, 1,440 minutes, right? So 1% of 1,440 minutes is around 15 minutes. So you spend 15 minutes planning your day, you will get so much more done than if you never planned. Same if you do for a week. A week is seven days, 168 hours. So 1% of 168 hours is 1.6 hours. So you take a couple of hours to plan the week. So, so, so effective. You can, you can basically extrapolate it all the way to the year. 365 days, you should spend around 3.5 days planning your, planning your year. Maybe a week, weekend, something like that to plan your year. So really simple rule of thumb, 1% rule of planning, what I call it. I like it. Yeah. Planning and review go hand in hand, by the way. There's not, I mean, you can't do planning without doing a solid review. So one thing I've found, at least with my brain, because, you know, I I don't know, I'm sure everybody else is juggling a million different things, but I have a hard time sometimes focusing on what I need to focus on if I have like other priorities just floating around in, in my head that I also know I need to tackle. And sometimes they're like unrelated to work. And they, they are very important. Maybe it's a family issue or something like that. And I've found, at least for me, just writing it down on a piece of paper will get it out of like my mental space so that I can focus on what I need to focus on, but I'm also not losing track of it. I also do this. I try to do this like before I end work for the day, just so that I know I can sleep a little bit better at night. Yep. Yep. No, that's a great strategy. That's really, that's really important. So like, especially when you're like, trying to focus on something and you get this idea of, oh, I need to do this. You could keep a running list of everything that needs to go in the backlog right now so you can pick it up later on. So that's, yeah, that's something highly recommended so that you're not kind of hounded by it. 
the, the amazing thing is once the brain knows that you will attend to it, it'll stop. Exactly. Yeah. So then the other thing I also do too, for things that are not super high priority, but things that I get excited about and I live in Evernote. So that's what I use to keep track of all this, but I have a wish list. So Mm -hmm. it's things that have like come across my screen that I want to look into, but I know I need to stay focused on this certain task right now, but um, it's something that I would love to check out in the future. And that wish list grows and grows and grows. But if I do have some downtime, I will actually go back and look at that wish list. Like I keep books on there and blog posts and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's the right thing to do. Uh, like don't let it affect you right now. Yeah. Like I specifically like calling it a wish list because that's exactly what it is. <laughs> like you yeah. have to have the discipline to call it what it is. It, you can't look at everything. I think yeah. in getting things done, I think, David Allen talks about having a list of things like that. It, it's one of his tickler files is what he calls it. And then he periodically goes back through it and says, oh, this one I need to pull out and work on. Or, you know, this is something that wasn't relevant then, but it is now. And mm-hmm. so then he can go back through it periodically and just, you know, mm-hmm. know that it's there and see if there's anything that he needs to attack now. Yeah. Uh, so I interviewed uh, David Allen on our podcast on the 2000 Books podcast a while ago about his book, Getting Things Done. And one of the things he was, uh, you know, he was talking about when I asked him, so what's the one thing that people don't do that could really help with their productivity? He's like, people don't have a maintenance routine. Just like what Amy said, like having that list, but also having a maintenance routine, like once every week, you go through that list and clean it out and take action on it and constantly prune it and keep it clean so that your, your mind is always calm. Your mind is always able to focus on what's important because it knows everything else will be attended to. When the mind doesn't feel like everything else is getting attended to, then it's all over the place. It's uh, kind of distracted. It's, uh, it's concerned about stuff that's not going to happen. But once the mind starts to feel like, oh, everything is going to be attended to because I have time set up for that. Right now, you can give, you can be appropriately engaged. That's what, uh, you know, David Allen talks a lot about, like, being appropriately engaged with the task at hand, whatever engagement it demands of you. Yeah, I love it. And then the other thing that you keep bringing up, Manny, is the thing that's most important or the thing that's going to have the highest impact. I think in the one thing, is that the book where they basically say, you want to work on the thing that is going to make something else easier or unnecessary? Everything else. Everything else, yeah. And so what, you know, what is that thing, right? The thing that's going to have that kind of impact. So you're not even thinking about it or worrying about it. Or if you do have to think about it or worry about it, it's pretty minimal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's amazing how the principles of focus and productivity probably haven't changed in ever, right? The one thing and essentialism are basically the same concept, in my opinion, right? They're written by two different guys, by meta-level they're attacking the same problem as people are just, if you don't know what your one thing is, if you're not clear on the few things that truly matter, now you're scattered, you're all over the place. So focusing on the one thing and letting everything else go and focusing on the one thing to the exclusion of everything else so that everything else becomes unnecessary or or irrelevant is crucial there. And the more you do that one thing, the more everything else keeps on becoming unnecessary. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I'm sure we've only scratched the surface of all of the stuff out there on productivity. And Manny, I know that you have these book summaries out there. Do you want to just talk a little bit about the book summaries and the stuff that you've put together for productivity? Because I mean, it's one thing to go and read all of the books that you've read. It's another thing to kind of get a shortcut on this and be able to go, okay, these are all of the key points out of all of these books. And these are the ones that really apply deeply to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So here's the thing. One of the, you know, not everyone may or may may not, not everyone has the time to read all the books. And what I do is I take these awesome books that we've talked about. I've done, I took 50 of the greatest productivity books that I've ever written. I read them, I studied them, I took notes and then I summarized them into videos. And these are like quick bite-sized videos, you actionable videos. So 50 summaries, they're literally like 10 plus hours of video content that I created just to summarize all these ideas. What happens is with productivity, you think, okay, I got it down. I understand this one thing, but there's so many different depths to this thing. One book doesn't always have the answer. There's quite a lot of things that come together for you to become truly productive for you to feel like, okay, I got control of this whole thing. And so I, I, I have put all of these together in one course called the 10X Productivity Course, where literally these are 300 of the greatest ideas in the world of productivity, 300 of the greatest ideas in the world of productivity, time management, habit formation, goal setting, uh, strategy, leverage, the 80-20 principle, all of those mind performance, like how to get your, how to perform at your highest levels when it comes to your brain, all of those things, all of those ideas are in that program. And I think, uh, Charles, uh, Chuck, we're going to do some sort of deal with the listeners. And if they check out the course and enter the promo code dev chat, I'll have a, a nice discount for them as well. So I will leave the link in the description, in the course description, in the show notes somewhere so that people can uh, buy the course. And I also have a few other courses along with this, uh, one of which is what I found was procrastination becomes a big problem for most of us. And there are quite a few books on procrastination, but they are very prescriptive. So I took all the data, all the knowledge I had learned, and I created a real course, step-by-step course on how to defeat procrastination. And a bunch of other courses as well I created around the topics of procrastination because I felt like around the topic of time management, because I felt like uh, it's easy to read book unless you apply it. It's not going to be useful. You can have all the book knowledge, but you have to apply it. So every one of my project, every one of the courses is very application oriented, where you go, you take the data and you apply it and you see the results. So that's the key. Yeah. And I've gone through part of the productivity course just because Manny and I know each other. And so I got a copy of it and I've been busy, so I haven't been able to go through all of it. But what's there is, it's gold. I mean, there's so much stuff there. Some of the summaries were books I had already read and it was a nice refresher. And others, it was like, oh, that's pretty deep and, and gave me something to really kind of think through and change the way that I'm doing things. And I think that's the other principle with this is you go in, you get these ideas. I mean, the ideas out of the show, the ideas out of the course, and then it's, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to change to make a difference? And it's amazing how just a couple little tweaks or sometimes big tweaks to what you're doing make a huge difference. And when we're talking about productivity and being more effective, it means you get a lot more done. Yeah. You know, an hour of your time is worth a lot, right? But if you are not using whoever it is who's listening, you're not, even if you save one hour of your time over the next one year by 
learning about productivity by figuring out different productivity tips, tools, strategies, techniques, all that stuff. You, let's say you spent, you saved just one hour. I think you saved a lot more. You would save a lot more, but let's just say one hour. That's 200 hours, 200 working days, 200 hours, or maybe 365 days if you work all day long, every day, 365 hours saved, 365 hours that you could put to better use. So you have to think in terms of how much time you could save and how much time you could use for other things in life rather than think about, oh man, I have to spend five to 10 hours consuming this content and taking notes or thinking about how to apply this. Well, those 10 hours are going to come and they're going to go by. But if you're not productive, if you don't use your time well, those 10 hours don't really have any value because you will consistently abuse those 10 hours uh, into 100 hours, into 1000 hours all your life. Productivity is one of those things you learn today and you literally will keep on applying it for the rest of your life. So every year of your life becomes more productive compared to what you would have been on a baseline. Yep. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, what was the book? It's a delegation book, Procrastinate on Purpose, hmm. where he essentially it? says, if you spend a half hour teaching somebody how to do a five-minute task, right, then it only takes you essentially six weeks to get that time back. And then you have it back forever, right? So yep. then it's worth, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100 times the half hour that you put in, even though up front, you took a little more time to do it. So that's and, very and, true. And that's, and that's how uh, I see self-improvement in general. Yeah. We become short-sighted and we think, let me just do right now. Let me just finish up stuff right now. And when we don't think of what's the long-term repercussion of not using our time properly, not using our brains properly, we think of, oh, let me just, you know, let me just go back home and then someday I will become more productive or let me just work harder and longer and I become more productive. But that's just not the recipe for success in the long term. It's more of a recipe for pain. Yep. All right. Well, that code was DevChat, right? Yep. And we'll, we'll have a link, link in the show notes. We'll have the link in the show notes for that code as well. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So... If you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks then. AJ, do you have some picks for us? Boy, do I ever. So this week, I'm going to pick a movie called The Village. It was originally pitched to me as though it was kind of in the like thriller horror genre. And I'm not quite sure that it fits in there. I would definitely say it's less creepy by a factor of like 100 than The Boy. Um, actually, it's not very creepy at all. And it's not very, I don't know. It's an engaging movie. It is a thriller, and you've probably already seen it, so meh. But if you haven't, I'd recommend it. And I can't tell you what it's about because it's one of those types of movies. <laughs> it, it's been out long enough to where if you spoiled it, anyway. Well, it, 
So like the sixth sense, there's a meme that everybody mm-hmm. says that kind of clues you in if you haven't seen it. But yeah. with this, there's not like a meme about it. So even though it's been out forever, if you haven't seen it, you probably, I mean, like I've heard tons of people mention it, but no one's ever said anything that actually gave it away or. Right. And so yeah, that, that's that. Then I'm also going to pick good old colophony, pine sap. As I've been doing my electronics works, I have found that the secret to everything that you want to do to get a component on or off of a board begins and ends with rosin, which those are just three names for the same thing. I've tried it in solid form. I've tried it in diluted with alcohol form. I've tried it in paste form. And in every form, it has a positive effect and you could do what seem like impossible things if you just put flux on, do whatever you're trying to do, and put flux on again if it didn't work, and then put flux on again when you need to redo it in the future. So those are my picks. Oh, four names for the same thing. <laughs> All right, Amy, what are your picks? I'm going to go with one this week, and it's going to go along with what I picked last week. And since I'm really kind of making a pretty big change of direction career-wise going from, well, started off, you know, full stack. And I did do a good bit of back-end work when I first started, but then started focusing on front-end and uh, have the opportunity now to get back to kind of what I always wanted to do and what I love doing, which was more back-end and um, been really interested in exploring more DevOps stuff. So um, if there's anybody out there who is brand new to this, um, this is a good blog post I found on Medium that it's a little bit dated. It's back from December 2016, but there are tons of resources in here. A couple of that I had already um, been pointed to, and so it was uh, nice to verify that they were in this article too, but uh, it's, I guess, specifically geared towards people who um, are kind of new to SRE and infrastructure work. So I'm going to go with that. Awesome. I'm going to jump in with a few picks now. These, one of them is something we talked about on the show, and the other one is something that we didn't talk about on the show. First one is the Entreprogrammers episode where we talked about how our Pomodoro challenge went. It's episode 248. You can go listen to the end of 247 where we talk about the Pomodoro challenge. The second is uh, Kanban Flow, and in particular, a video that John Sanmez, who's also somebody that Manny and I talk to every week, he talked about how he plans his week with Kanban Flow and how he uses the Pomodoro timer on there. And then the final pick is the actual Pomodoro timer for the Pomodoro technique. So I've been using Kanban Flow like John does. And one issue that I had was that I would work on projects that either weren't at my computer or I'd miss the notification that said, hey, it's time to switch off Pomodoro. And so I'd I'd work 40 minutes instead of 25. And then I'd be like, oh, so I got a Pomodoro timer I actually sent one to Manny, John, and Josh. And uh, yeah, so anyway, it's just a a timer that goes on your desk. It's got a little bell in it. And uh, yeah, so I just set it for 25 minutes and then it'll go off if I miss the other timer. And so I I use Kanban Flow to track how many Pomodoros I did. And then I use the timer to actually remind me to stop. I really have enjoyed that particular technique. So if you're looking for uh, a way to, you know, kind of start doing some of these things, it's a terrific way to go. So I'm going to pick those. Manny, what are your picks? All right. Since you guys are listening to a part, listening to a podcast right now, I'm assuming, 
I have a podcast for you, which I absolutely love. And it's called NPR's How I Built This. And that's where they interview some of the biggest entrepreneurs in the world today. The likes of Mark Cuban, Richard Branson, the founders of Airbnb, founders of Lyft. It's amazing. The lineup they have is incredible. Some of the best production when it comes to podcasts. So if you are at all interested in entrepreneurship or the story of the struggle and all of that stuff, highly recommend you check out uh, How I Build This by NPR, my favorite podcast, hands down. And my second favorite podcast is my own podcast, which is 2000 Books, where I summarize some of the greatest business and personal development books. And I interview a lot of the great authors in the world today. We have over 200 episodes all in the field of you know, productivity and self-help and uh, mental toughness and confidence and entrepreneurship and marketing and sales. So if you are interested in books, if you're interested in learning about books, but you may not have the time to read it, check out the podcast. It's called 2000 Books, 2000 Books. Awesome. All right, Manny. Uh, one other question that I usually ask is, if people want to find you online, where do they go? Okay. So you're listening to podcasts. Just listen to my podcast, 2000 Books, 2000 Books. But if you check out the website, it's same thing, 2000books.com, 2000books.com. YouTube channel by the same name, 2000books, 2000books.com. Uh, so you will find 2000 books on basically the big, the biggest uh, content platforms out there, whether you search on SEO or you search on podcasts or you search on YouTube. And yeah, that's, that's that. Awesome. And then you can also hear Manny and I and John and Josh talk every, we talk every Friday. I think the shows go out every like Tuesday. But yeah, that's entreprogrammers.com. Yep. That's where we talk about entrepreneurship more than programming. So yep. Uh, one other thing, um, Manny and I are going to be sending out some emails regarding this stuff. So um, if regarding you, productivity, uh, yep. course, and probably a really good discount offer for the productivity course. So for people who are interested, yeah. Yeah. So if you go to javascriptjabber.com, there's a little email subscription link in there. And if you get in there, then you'll, you'll, you should be able to get all of the emails that we're sending out regarding the productivity and things like that and how to get Manny's course. So don't miss that because that is probably the easiest way to get all the information about all this stuff. And also get a really good discount. So, yep. All right, folks, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming, Manny. Hey, thanks for having Chuck. Always a fun time. All right. Well, we'll wrap this one up and we will be back next week. Bye. Bye, guys. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.